Welcome to Away From The Bench, where we explore how on earth researchers are attempting to remain productive in unproductive circumstances, maintain their positivity and look after themselves and their families during uncertain times. Today I've got a conversation I had with the engaging Elaine Emerson, a group leader at the Centre for Regenerative Medicine in Scotland, recorded on the 30th of April. We talk about how her daily tasks haven't changed as much as you might think, the responsibility of caring for her team and ponder... Would Stephen Fry have been a better Harry Potter? I hope you enjoy it. Good morning, Elaine. How are you today? Good morning. I'm very well, thank you. How are you doing today? Uh, I, I'm not too bad. I'm not too bad. I'm definitely um, a touch, uh, I feel like a, a, a bit like a kind of slight wrinkled balloon this morning, but um, I figured after we're done here, I'll have another cup of coffee and that'll, that'll sort me right out. That's a nice analogy. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a line from um, a Paul Simon song. Uh, sad as a lonely uh, wrinkled balloon. I'm not sad or lonely, but it's quite a nice analogy. You're right. Um, great. Um where are you right now? I am sat in my flat uh, in Edinburgh, uh, just behind Murrayfield Stadium. Um, I am in the spare room in our flat, um, sat at the desk, which luckily is in front of a window. Um, so I actually have a view, which is nice. It must be pretty quiet at the moment. There's no rugby on. No, there's no rugby. So it's very quiet. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm a big rugby fan, so everyone's kind of talking about you know, what on earth do we do with our time? What do we talk about? How can there be no rugby on? Um, is it a nice day in Edinburgh today? It's not that nice. Um, it was raining earlier. I can't... I'm just trying to see whether it's still raining. It's a little bit grey, a little bit overcast, which is, I guess, a bit sad after all the nice weather we've had, but uh, I think the garden probably needs it, so there's no Oh, bad. my goodness. Yeah, my garden. Yeah, definitely needs it. Yeah, we're uh, we're a little bit west of you, so I can give you a five minutes heads up of uh, of what's coming. Um, it's pretty early in the morning. I mean, in the grand scheme of things. Uh, how's your day going so far? Uh, so far, so good. Um, I did get wet this morning. I've been out for a walk, um, so I'm already on my second change of clothes today. But beyond that, it's it's okay so far. Do you usually try and get out for a kind of walk at the moment in the morning? Yeah, so that's one of the things that I'm I've kind of changed about my routine is um, that ordinarily I would have this commute to work um, in this period where after leaving the house before starting work, and that's something that I was finding during this social distancing period that was um, quite difficult for me. So I've switched to going for a walk after breakfast, kind of clearing my head, getting some fresh air, having that a bit of kind of alone time. Um, and that's really, really helped. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a pretty good way to kind of get yourself from home head mode into work head mode if you need that kind of transition in your day. Yeah. Um, would you like to tell anybody that ends up listening to this about who you are, what you do, uh, what you what you like to do science about? Certainly. So I'm a Chancellor's Fellow um, at the University of Edinburgh. 
um, in a research centre called the Centre for Regenerative Medicine. Um, I am essentially a group leader. So a Chancellor's Fellow is an independent position um, that allows you to start your own group. Um, and then subsequently, I've got further funding from um, RCUK to kind of expand the group. So I oversee um, a group of uh, students and a postdoc, and we're all working in uh, regenerative medicine research, which one would expect based on the fact we're in the Centre for Gen Regenerative Medicine. Um, we're actually investigating ways to uh, regenerate salivary glands um, in patients who have undergone radiotherapy as a treatment for head and neck cancer. So the radiotherapy is largely effective at targeting um, the tumour, but often other tissues that kind of lie around the tumour also get irradiated. Um, and this includes the salivary glands. Um, and then this leads to salivary dysfunction. And patients either produce saliva that's not of the same composition as normal, um, or they just don't produce saliva at all. Um, and this has a really... Um, a substantial impact on the patient quality of life. So they have problems eating, uh, speaking, digesting food, um, even things like sleeping. Um, and so this really has um, a massive effect on their, their quality of life post-cancer treatment. So what my group are doing are looking at how um, nerves that are surrounding the salivary gland and that actually signal to the gland um, in the normal in the normal ways to stimulate saliva production and saliva flow, how those nerves might actually be also providing beneficial signals um, to help the gland regenerate. And in the absence of nerves, which we know happens after radiotherapy, how we can maybe mimic those nerve signals to try and promote regeneration of the gland. Excellent. It's a well, it's a, it's a slick, well-practiced uh, presentation on your your research in a nutshell. Um, I yeah, I, I was doing some kind of in the past and doing some background reading on on your area of research, and I, I think it was a really interesting question. Not just how the cells regenerate, but the application of quality of life for patients. Um, this kind of thing is never going to be something that's going to kind of impact the health service, but quality of life for somebody, how they eat and speak and breathe and feel comfortable is never something in this context with radiation therapy that I'd thought about. So um, I thought that was really interesting, that application of it. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's something that's kind of overlooked, I think, quite a lot mm. uh, because people don't know. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you've been um, a group leader independent for just over three years now. Um, are you still, um, if, if, you know, if we cast our minds back to what are we at five or six weeks now since we've been out of uh, out of the lab um would you would you still spend a, a significant portion of your week kind of in the lab at the bench doing doing lab work helping out your 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 staff and students yeah so it varies week to week depending on what experiments we're doing um but yeah i'm still quite active in the lab and especially with kind of the bigger experiments that we do so we have models where we model radiotherapy um and so those sorts of big experiments i'm usually actively involved in um i also do help out in the lab um almost like as an extra pair of hands often so i'm usually the, the sort of technical assistant <laughs> rather than the driving force um but yeah i'm in the lab probably a couple of days a week for a, pro a proportion of that day um but the majority of my time is now really spent in an office doing writing um, and reading etc so can you then tell me then what uh, a normal day or or week for you would be like. I think it's interesting that 
some of your time is still spent in the lab and you must be one of the best paid technical assistants in the in the building <laughs> <laughs> i hope so <laughs> um so in a, in a kind of normal week i very much work a, a sort of nine to five monday to friday um sort of schedule um like i say i might be at the lab bench for a, a few hours of that week um either providing an extra pair of hands teaching a technique um, even just doing kind of um, tasks like things like genotyping, keeping on top of our um, mouse colonies, for example. Um, but more often I'd be in the office um, working on things like manuscripts or grant applications. Um, and it's it's generally the postdocs and the PhD students in my lab that are the ones that are at the bench um, kind of almost every day. And they're the ones generating the data. Um also, during the week, I'd normally meet with all of those members of the group. Um, we'd either have a one-to-one -one meeting um, every other week where I get to chat to them and talk about what their plans are for the week, um, what they've been doing, any difficulties they've encountered, any problems that they're having, and kind of hashing out ideas. Um, and then on the alternate week, we generally meet as a, a group and have a group lab meeting. So everybody presents what they're doing, again, any problems that they're having so we can share and find out if there's a kind of common problem in the lab. Um, and other people obviously have ideas that sometimes I might not have. So we get the benefit of then multiple um, different inputs. Um, and then I like to think that I also have a sort of open door policy as well. So if any of them want to come talk to me, even out with those kind of pre-arranged meetings, then my door is open and they'll they'll usually pop in and come and chat to me about either problems or ideas or, or whatever. Okay, that's really interesting. So given the other people I've talked to have all been um, at a stage in their career where they spend a lot of time doing science, and you've told me all about you spend a lot of time writing and reading and having meetings, how much has your, how much has your working life changed um, since we've not been allowed to go to work? <laughs> so in all honesty, my the tasks I'm doing haven't actually changed all that much. Um, so in terms of the writing tasks and things, they're all things that I can do from home. Um, it's taken a little bit of adjusting to to be working from home rather than in our office. Um, but the actual tasks themselves, yeah, are typically very similar to what I was doing um, prior to the, the kind of social distancing period. Things like the meetings that I would normally be um, having either kind of bigger centre-wide um, meetings or even our one-to-one -one or group meetings have all now kind of moved online um, and they seem to be working well. Um, so I'm still speaking to all of the members of the lab um, every week, checking in with them about how they're all coping at home one-to-one. Um, -one, and we're also having a, a group meeting as well. Um, and less of the sort of, this is what I've been doing, more of the, this is how I'm coping. Um, <laughs> this is how I'm living at the moment and mm -hmm. just checking in with each other. So it's, it's changed a little bit, but um, yeah, largely similar in, in many ways. So other than your kind of daily morning walk, have you found anything that you've needed to change or you've proactively changed about how you're working at the moment? Um, what kind of distractions have you got around the house um, that you maybe you obviously don't have when you're in your office? Yeah. Um, so my partner, who's a teacher, is also working from home and he's also homeschooling his six-year-old. Um, so the house is busy. It's not kind of a quiet environment. 
Um, that said, things are working quite well. Um, and like I say, I'm in our spare room and that gives me kind of the, the quiet area that I need mostly to be able to get on with work and to have meetings, etc. Um, there's been a couple of instances where I've had interruptions and I've had a, a six-year-old come and join me for a meeting. <laughs> um, but largely it's been fine. Um, and actually one of the really nice things about this is that I've been uh, joining the boys for lunch. So when they have their kind of break in the in the school day, in inverted commas, um, I've been joining them for lunch, which actually is really nice because it's given me, again, a bit more structure um, and it's kind of avoiding... Um, perhaps me just continuing to work because there's nothing sort of stopping me. There's no seminar to go to. There's no meeting to go to. There's uh, no need to go into the lab. So actually, I think that's been quite a nice thing. Um, and it gets me to switch off from work for a bit and chat to them about what they've been doing in the morning. So, yeah, not all bad. Um, but we've still got we've still got Zoom meetings and seminars to go to. Do you find those um, easy to attend? Do you find uh, um, the interaction the same, or how you how, what's your experience of them? Because they're something that um, webinars and seminars held by video. You know, we as scientists we've talked about. You know, wouldn't this facilitate so many more people to attend them? But it seems to have taken the impetus of of a of a global pandemic to actually trigger. Um, them to happen, and we've actually managed to pull out pull them out of the bag amazingly well in the space of only a few weeks. So, how do you find those interactions of attending those those kind of meetings? Um, do you find the same kind of interaction with the speaker and the audience, or um, what do you think of them? So, I think it it depends a little bit on the meeting. So, if it's something like my lab group, I feel like that's very organic. We have the same kind of chat as we would do normally. Um, I suppose more sort of official meetings. Um, I think the difficulty with it being online, especially if it's a, a large meeting, um, like for example, we had a PI meeting yesterday. So we're talking all of the PIs in the centre, which is 20 plus people. You obviously have these difficulties of kind of talking over each other or being heard and mm. muting, unmuting microphones. So it's not quite the same. But I must admit, it worked quite well. Um, in terms of kind of larger seminars, um, I've watched a couple online um, since we started um, this kind of lockdown period. And again, I think they work really well. Um, I think being a speaker, it must be really difficult, though. I haven't obviously done that. I haven't been the speaker in that situation. But I feel like that must be quite a change because normally you're feeding off other people's expressions. <coughs> Um, the fact that people either look uh, enthusiastic or interested about your research um, or completely lost. And I think that is something that we're really missing in the kind of online format. And although it's, I think, a great um, tool to be able to use at the moment and, and also in the future in terms of, you know, um, not having so much travel, not having people kind of flying all around the globe to attend meetings, um, having something that's more sustainable and maybe more um, financially viable as well. Um, but I think it does have its downsides as well. And, and I think that's one big thing for me. But then saying that I haven't actually been in that position, it's just how I'm imagining, how I'm perceiving it would be. Mm -hmm. um, I'm interested to get your thoughts on your thoughts on the role of a, of a, a PI or a supervisor um, at the moment. Um, one of their perhaps written or unwritten roles is that of kind of 
pastoral care and leadership to their student, their staff, their lab, their mentees, kind of beyond that. Um, and I think the circumstances we're in now are quite interesting because there's a number of other uh, pressures um, kind of on top of people um, that perhaps affect their mental health. Um, they have stress, anxiety, and to, cap to kind of compound that issue, they're isolated from their friends and their family. Um, video chat is kind of one way of connecting with people, but even then it's not the same as, as getting a hug from your, your friends or your parents when you really need one. Um, so I'm interested in how you've uh, perhaps tackled that issue, the kind of, as I said, the, the pastoral care and leadership of your group when you have to communicate with them by phone or email or video chat. Yeah. So that's something that, that has always been at the forefront of my mind ever since we we started these kind of moving toward a, um, a situation where it was looking likely that we were going to have to go into social distancing and things were going to have to shut down. There was obviously a, a period right at the beginning where there was a lot of unknowns. Yeah, so there was obviously a, a period at the beginning where we were having to to base all our kind of future plans on um, what we knew then and there and try and finish up experiments and get to a stage where we were kind of comfortable enough that we could step away from the bench um, and also obviously doing things um, by the book in terms of what the university were telling us and what the government were telling us. And then we had this this kind of period again of unknown where we didn't really know how long this was going to go on for. Um, and at that stage, I think my main priority was just knowing that the members of my group were actually okay. So we had some chats about things that they could be doing at home, um, but I tried to highlight to them very early on that the most important thing was just that they were okay and that they were keeping in touch uh, with me to let me know that they were okay. They were also communicating with with friends and family that they weren't maybe feeling like they'd been abandoned. Um, luckily, all of my group live with other people, so nobody was physically alone. Um, but I know that won't be the case for, for everybody. Um, so that was one big thing was just checking that they were kind of all coping okay. And then since then, we've been sort of adapting um, kind of timelines and tasks to do with the idea that everybody works slightly differently. So some of my group have, have actually been working fine um, and have just been able to kind of get on with things and haven't had uh, too many kind of distractions or problems. Um, some are finding it really difficult working at home and that they have other distractions or that they don't have the impetus to work because they don't have a particular deadline to work to and that actually they just want to be in the lab, which they can't right now. So for that, we've been setting things like um, kind of informal deadlines by me. Um, so things for them to work to and for an actual date to work kind of against um, because that's just the way that they work. They need that slight kind of time pressure. Um but maintaining communication, I think, has been the the big thing. So understanding that every single person is different, that we all have different kind of needs and different requirements at the moment. And this is really highlighted at the moment um, in terms of how you kind of manage people and how hands-on or hands-off you are. Um, and also just recognising, I think, that everybody's going to have good days and everybody's going to have bad days. And that goes for me as well. Um, so if any of them 
have a couple of days where they just really can't do anything that's okay um and i've i've tried to say that to them and i've had days where i'm really just not in the right frame of mind and that's okay great that's amazing that sounds like you've been really um proactive rather than reactive about how you wanted to to manage the situation and deal and support your your staff um I, that was that was a that was a wonderful that was a really wonderful answer um Talking to you personally, you had a really good interview uh, uh, with the One Million Women in STEM project, um, which I which I came across, where you you touched upon briefly. There were short answers about how you've um, had anxiety for a lot of your adult life. Um, has the acknowledgement of and the recognition of having working with anxiety have you noticed um, that more in the past weeks with what's going on around the world do you know what kind of for want of a better word triggers your anxiety and you know i assume you've got some pretty robust uh, ways of trying to trying to manage it is that would that be true yeah so in terms of knowing what triggers it um at the moment is that it's it's not totally clear to me. Um, I am suffering from periods of it during this, this kind of lockdown. Um, mostly what it comes down to is a kind of lack of control. Um, so for me, things that are outside of my control is usually what triggers these, the, the kind of feelings of anxiety and a, uh, a feeling of a loss of control. So at the moment, that's obviously something that a lot of people will be feeling um, the fact that we don't know what's going to happen next, how long we'll be in this situation, um, how we can return to some sort of normal life and what that will look like. And all of those things are obviously outside of my control. So I recognize that, but that's also sometimes quite difficult to deal with because I like to be in a situation where I'm, I'm in control and I, I kind of call the shots. Um, in terms of managing, um, one of the big things that I find is very, very beneficial to me is is exercise um, and doing something that I really love and I can switch off. Um, so one of the things that I do quite often is um, exercise classes. So, for example, um, dance classes in a group um, and that gives me an hour where I can kind of lose myself and and just listen to music, dance. Um, it's fantastic exercise as well. Um, and again, that's obviously something that's changed a little bit with this period because we're not going to, to gyms and to leisure centres and having these kind of face-to-face um, -face exercise classes that I'm, I'm normally used to. Um, so what I'm doing is doing those sorts of classes online. Um, so there's lots of resources out there um, to be able to do the kind of on-demand classes um, where you follow an instructor who's obviously on a screen rather than there with you. Um, I guess it has a slightly different um, atmosphere. It's, it's not quite the same. You don't feed off other people, um, but it's a good um, alternative, I would say. Um, and uh, it's much to the amusement of my partner as well when I'm prancing around in the living room and making the uh, furniture move. <laughs> Great. You, you touched on it briefly about, you know, if we would ever return to what we might describe as a normal or a new normal. Um, what do you think um, you might take from the past uh, five or six weeks and the 
coming few weeks uh, or months, who knows. Um, what do you think you might take from this experience to enhance yourself, your, you know, kind of leadership, your group, your lab, you know, what, 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 what can you, what can you bring, bring back to the party, so to speak? So I think one major thing is that I think I will change is that I'm, I'm recognizing that I just rush everywhere. Um, and obviously having now, now being in a position where I'm not rushing everywhere because there's nowhere to rush to. Um, I think I'm realizing how much I was doing that before. Um, and that's something that I would really like to change and maybe not try and cram so many things into, into one day. Um, in terms of the kind of working way of life, um, one thing that I was actually doing even before the shutdown was having um, maybe one day every so often where I wasn't in the lab. So I'd be working, I would take myself off to the library, for example, um, work on writing, and that way I'm not distracted, uh, both from my own point of view, so I'm not getting distracted and, and wandering off to see what's going on in the lab, but also not getting distractions. So um, not having people coming in and kind of interrupting the, the flow of ideas. And I actually think that's really good for the lab as well, because at the moment I'm I'm quite junior. I'm there all the time. Um, like I say, I have this open door policy and I invite them to come in and ask me questions um, all the time. But then that also maybe isn't the best thing for them long term, because eventually there's going to become a time where maybe my commitments are um, kind of extending outside of the centre more and more. I'm not there on tap. And so it, I think, will be a good learning experience for them to know how to deal with these things um, when I'm not there. So having a bit of a um, a practice run, I suppose, at um, answering the questions themselves or asking each other, asking each other for help. So I think that's one thing that I'll certainly keep keep going with when we go back to some sort of normality. And do you think you'll make use of um because i think everybody is now using video chat more and more um, and i hope that we will see it employed more by kind of conferences and things to allow people um with other um commitments to attend or at least kind of see what's being talked about without having to to travel around the world to to be there in person um do you think that's something you, you you'll use more um or um you know i think uh you said that the, the the personal interaction, being able to see people's faces in a in a room, is is possibly quite important to you. What do you think? I think there's a balance. I think I like to think that I would um, attend kind of online meetings and conferences more than what we were doing prior to this. Um, but I also see the the value of face to face. And the fact that you get that kind of networking that maybe you wouldn't get um, online. And again, yeah, the kind of face-to-face communication. So I think it's a balance. I think if everybody recognises that maybe we've got too much uh, travel um, and it's sort of not sustainable in terms of maybe environmental reasons, but also not uh, necessarily fair for people who maybe can't go um or feel like they wouldn't want to go or be away for a long time so i think it i think a balance is really important i think there should be situations where face-to-face is good but also where online is just as good brilliant brilliant um 
Great. Thanks. Uh, thanks for chatting about these these things that, that that I sit there thinking all day about, Elaine. Um, I really appreciate it. Um, let's let's wrap this up with some some fun questions to lighten the mood and leave people just a little bit jealous about what on earth you're having for lunch or dinner tonight. Um, so <laughs> whichever whichever is the more jealousy inducing. <laughs> well, dinner. I think we're having uh, cauliflower and chickpea curry. I said jealousy inducing. <laughs> Some people might be jealous of that. <laughs> what about lunch then? Um, soup. <laughs> oh, lentil soup? Uh, leek and potato. Oh, okay. Yeah, I had some of that the other day. Yeah. I thought that would, that would be my preference over the over the cauliflower and chickpea, but that's just me. Fair enough. Um, other than all the exercise videos that you're um, currently enjoying and entertaining your your partner um, with, with uh, if you get anything else on the go, any Netflix or do you like to relax with books or audio books or podcasts or uh, what about when you're out on your walk? Do you just enjoy the birds singing in the morning because they are glorious at the moment? They are, yeah. So the bird song's been lovely. Um, I do actually walk with um, the Harry Potter Harry Potter audiobooks um, read by Stephen Fry, so that's that's what I've been enjoying while I've been out on the walk. Um, in terms of Netflix, yeah, we're actually watching Ozark on Netflix. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's good, entertaining. Have you have you have you never listened to or read Harry Potter before? Or is it, or is it a secret kind of crush that you just listen to constantly? <laughs> no, I've read all the books before, um, but I've never listened to them being being read by Stephen Fry. So, um, yeah, it's quite nice because it's something that I can can just ha- kind of have on in the background um, while I'm out walking. Does he do everybody in the voice of Stephen Fry or does he do accents and things for everybody? He does some accents, yeah. And some sort of lower, gruffer voices, depending on the characters. He's good. Oh, is, it, yeah. is, is, he better, is he better than Daniel Radcliffe? Ooh, good question. Do you have, do you have Daniel Radcliffe's voice as Harry Potter's voice when you read the book? <laughs> well, I certainly see the character. <laughs> yeah. Um, wonderful. Thank you so much for your time, Elaine. Where can anybody who wants to find out more about you and your science and your lab and the interesting kind of stuff beyond kind of science and side communications and outreach and things like that where can they learn about these things and you so probably the best place is on twitter um so on twitter you can find me um at dr emerson and then we also have a lab account um, that's run by both myself and my PhD student, Ella. And that's at emersonlab underscore CRM. Cool. I will link to these in the show notes so that people can find them somewhere. Uh, brilliant. Elaine, thank you very much for your time today. Um, I really appreciated it. There were some really interesting discussions and questions. And I thought your uh, insight into how your dealing with this beyond just yourself were really interesting. Thank you very much. Thank you. (laughs) Hello again. Thanks for sticking around this long. I hope to keep these conversations relatively bite-sized for your consumption. If you want to get in touch about anything we've talked about or with any comments, you can find us on Twitter at 
at AFTB underscore podcast. Enjoy the rest of your day and have an amazing week, folks. Oh, 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 o